2: Now that that you've got a a cool new microphone, you're turning into one of those cool hip podcast type people. Where's my my beloved Craig gone? (laughs)
1: I think I was veering towards Marty Miller, Radio Nova territory, which is not bad territory in fairness. It's classic territory.
2: I would pay a lot of money to hear you in a morning radio style situation where you have to be on (laughs) and lively and effervescent. Like a
1: morning zoo thing where I'm like wacky and are just smooth like you know easing you into your
2: tuesday morning no i prefer the you know it's chaos here in the studio (laughs) giving away money that kind of thing i've spelled my name with a k yeah Yeah.
1: (laughs) chaos craig in the morning
2: My name is Dave Hanratty and there will be no Encore. Welcome to episode 208 of the No Encore music podcast. We're recording once again via Zoom because the world is still on edge. We'll do our very, very best to uh, provide some levity, won't we, Craig Fitzpatrick? We will indeed. Uh, How are
1: you, Dave? I'm actually quite good. I'm like on edge, but I think that's just default setting now. But like, I forgot it was a four day weekend in my office. I know it doesn't really mean anything anymore, but
2: I was kind of like, oh yeah, I forgot last
1: year I had Good Friday off. I've got this Good Friday off kind of nice go out the back garden kick back think of jesus
2: it means something to me because i started a new job this week and i'm straight into a four-day weekend <laughs>
1: it's oh, like, nice. it's yeah.
2: <laughs> and i also uh, i ordered a shed load of beer which arrived uh, about four hours after i did it so that was nice so i've got them waiting for me and uh, the final Fantasy seven remake is out as of this podcast being out as well so i've got a long weekend ahead of me it's going to be great. Excellent. Is is Easter one of the big holidays in your in your culture? <laughs> no.
1: What culture? It absolutely- I don't know our culture. Are you going to get yourself an Easter egg? Um, I'm not going to get myself one. I've been gifted a couple, Jeez. Uh, which is great. Right. I have I have to so, sort
2: myself out usually. So,
1: I've got a Cadbury's cream egg one. And I've got a Yorkie one. I wouldn't be much of a Yorkie man, to be honest, but you can you take what you can get at this
2: stage. Neither so. of whom sponsor this podcast. But the good news is, of course, we've started a Patreon. I want to say a huge thank you to everyone who's signed up so far. It's been quite heartwarming. There's yes. been a lot of people, which is amazing. Uh, you know, yeah, if you want to get involved, if you want to throw us the price of a pint a month or more or whatever, uh, head on over to patreon.com slash noencore. Craig's microphone has it's just been, arrived and that's yeah,
1: part of it. It's been hugely heartwarming. Um, yeah, I've got my Blue Yeti set up. And I hopefully sound awesome. It's not coming true to your feed, Dave. So you'll be listening to this episode as surprised as everyone else at how smooth and (laughs) silky I sound. I
2: can't wait. Back to
1: my usual velvety Craig tones. Um, So yeah, no, it was great to, you know... Obviously, a big outlay at a weird time. Um, So having people chip in is fantastic. Um, And, you know, more than that, just kind of getting that feedback from people that they're like, they do want to support the show and they're kind of loyal listeners is being huge. So thank you so much. It really means a huge amount.
2: Yep. I co-sign all that. It absolutely does. Patreon.com slash if you would like to support the show. And yeah, uh, as for this episode, we have lots to talk about. I should mention that there's a new No Popcorn episode in your feed. It's 8 Mile. Go check that out if you want to. On this episode, though, of No Encore, episode 208... We will be discussing lots of news, of course, and I will be talking with Jim Carroll, who people will know from his years at the Irish Times with the On The Record column. Jim is quite an outspoken character in the Irish music industry. I caught up with him earlier this week to talk about Electric Picnic and where they go from here and how they've handled everything so far as far as the coronavirus Shadow that is looming large over Strad Bally as we speak. We will also be reviewing the new album from Eve Toomer and, and I'm very excited about this one, we'll be running down our individual top five worst cover songs. That's later in the show. This
1: was another toughie. There's so much bad music out there.
2: (laughs) It really, really was. It was difficult. And we will try our very best to give a good approximation. But the news section calls us, Craig. And unfortunately, tragedy strikes. Last Friday on the show, not long after we had come out, the news came through that Bill Withers, something of an absolute legend passed away yeah. at the age of 81 from Heart Complications. Uh, I guess a lot of people would be would know him for Lean on Me and for Lovely Day. Ain't No Sunshine. And Ain't No Sunshine is my jam. Is it your jam? The, the saddest one. My, <laughs> yeah. my, jam, my jam was Use Me Up, which appeared in Any Given Sunday during one of the games. Yeah, that's very good as well. Was he the, was
1: an interesting character. He started his career kind of quite late, I think. He was well into his 30s. And then he kind of just stopped, I think, but hugely regarded um seemed like a really interesting figure there's some great like soul train live performances he gave on youtube um which people should check out if they're probably familiar with some of his bigger hits and recorded stuff but just want to get a a sense of the man and yeah what a what a dude he was
2: when was the last time that you watched any given sunday out of curiosity because i mean like it feels like a weird poll for me to mention it because in that film there's a needle drop every fucking six seconds like
1: yeah i'd say it was like a film four job about like mid mid-noughties it's probably like 15 years since i've seen that film
2: i'd recommend a return it's absolutely outrageous and yeah rest in peace bill withers but the bad news continued as the week went on yeah iconic singer songwriter john prine one of the most respected men in music passed away as a result of covid19 complications at the age of 73 greg how familiar were you with john prine
1: uh, John Prine is one of those kind of uh, blind spots, I think, for me. It was like one of those names I always heard. I knew a lot of the better known stuff, but just never really you know, dove properly into the back catalogue. Um, but yeah, when you see the outpouring of like musicians, I have a lot of time for and respect just in the last week or so it's obvious his influence kind of stretched far and wide. Um, you'd kind of know a lot of the hits. Angel from Montgomery is a, a astounding piece of work. Um, Gavin Glass actually did a really good cover of that when the news broke on Facebook. Uh, it's one of those few kind of from home Facebook sessions I've actually watched um, of late because I was just kind of done with it. But I was like, oh no, this is a moment that I want to check out, so people should check that one out. But yeah, like he's just kind of so ubiquitous as a reference and a starting point for a lot of musicians we all
2: love um how about you? Were, you were you more up to speed with his work it's kind of one of those things where through friends i suppose the filter would have been i would have been thrown the old song yes, yeah, yeah. on occasion and i think you know, like he was still going like he was still a touring concern his most recent record came out in 2018 i think he was in vicar street last year possibly or the year before i mean certainly no, no longer than that i don't think And just kind of one of those revered figures that everyone, you know, it's kind of like a six degrees thing. You couldn't go too far among your friend group without knowing someone who loved and respected him greatly. As you say, the outpouring was massive. I mean, like, listen, I think obviously with the way things are developing right now, it's such a strange thing to even comment on in real time. And I'm wary of saying anything that is insensitive and I don't mean to be, but I do almost feel like with this moment in our lives that there's something about... What is happening right now, and it feels almost like a robbery. It feels almost to me like people aren't getting to exit in a way that they ne- like they necessarily. Like they, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't
1: want to say. Do you mean in terms of it's it's all under this like COVID nineteen mm-hmm. umbrella of like? Do you know? It's not. You're not getting kind of maybe the column inches if you're a bigger star, or even the the real horrific practicalities of like funerals not being able to go ahead the way they might and all that kind of stuff. It's just. Yeah, like I personally know someone whose father passed away um, from unrelated stuff recently, but of course, because of the quite right um, lockdown in the country, there wasn't really a wider funeral, there was nothing like that, the kind of wake was just them at home kind of alone, so it's a a really weird situation for people.
2: Yeah, and I mean, listen, I mean, I I don't have the nuance, and I, I wouldn't necessarily, it's not that kind of podcast, but like... There is an element of human beings being reduced to statistics, whatever your status, whoever you are, whatever yeah. you've done, whether you're creative, whether you're a beloved artist or not. But there's just a kind of a sense that we talked about Adam Schlesinger last week. And I mean, like, we don't know what's down the line. We don't know how, how, how much more we're going to be having conversations like this on this show or, you know, you know outside the auspices of a, a culture podcast. But... I just find it quite hard to take, especially with the speed of it as well. Um, it's it's genuine. It, it, it's it's both shocking and it's numbing, and there is a strange midpoint now that I think I've reached. Again, as someone who works in the media, um, and my new job is within that sphere as well, and it's like you are just seeing these figures, and it's it uh, sometimes it, sometimes it, it, you buckle, and sometimes you are like, yeah, and you get on with your day. And yeah, I'm not quite. I think I kind of with that, you know.
1: Yeah, totally. I, I kind of, I was settling into the new normal, uh, a bit. Do you know, it was actually a weird one that got me during the week, and it was um Boris Johnson, who at time of recording seems to be recovering. Uh, he was put in ICU, but he seems to be on the mend. Uh, Touchwood is a kind of, you know, fellow human being. We wish him well, but it was one of those weird ones, and like, of course, he's not as a political figure, someone I admire greatly. But I think it was how surreal it was. (laughs) I think it was how surreal it was just to have like it was literally a case of the joke getting kind of serious because he's such a kind of figure of fun, is a bit of a, of a buffoon. I guess you would assume someone like that, you know, Tory boy would be unscathed and just bumble his way through and, you know, he's kind of bars the Clown. And then suddenly you go from one day seeing him give his like 30 second video update saying I'm still at work. And then it's like he's been moved to the ICU and it's like, oh, fuck, this can really change rapidly for everyone. It just felt like one of those weird um, simulation moments. It's like, fuck. And there's obviously lots of those and they hit people differently, but it it was just one of those moments in the day where you suddenly realise what's actually happening in the world.
2: (laughs) Well, a strange thing that happened this week, and I guess you're seeing articles spring up about how there's like almost like a bidding war in some cases, which there literally is, for personal protective equipment and resources and all kinds of stuff. Uh, Just real quick, you too were in the headlines this week because they are contributing €10 million for the sourcing and purchase of personal protective equipment, PPE as it's known in the shorthand to help combat COVID-19 in Ireland and support frontline health workers, which is great. Um, however, I was kind of surprised by one element of this where I read into it. And essentially, the plane that that they've managed to kind of get involved with here, full of equipment, it was rerouted. It was due to travel from China to France and instead came here, which makes me be like, <laughs> what the fuck? Like, Did Bono pick up a phone and be like, nah, listen, it's Ireland's. France. <laughs> not happening, mate. Now, I, I, I'm not accusing anybody of anything, but there's something really odd here in the details that is kind of between the lines. And I'm like... Uh, are
1: you suggesting you two are now like airborne pirates? Modern pirates? Yes. They finally, I'm surprised they weren't using like the elevation jet. Do they still have that jet? They finally... <laughs> Just cruising around the continent, picking up like supplies for Ireland. I love this it. is their
2: final form as strange <laughs> modern day eco-pirates and it's like okay i mean listen i'm happy for any good news story to come <laughs> to irish shores but there's just something here that i feel
1: do you reckon Do you reckon like bono you know bono wrote that song for like the italians and blah 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 and clearly like knocked it out in two hours on his piano and the lads were like but no, it's not that great. We're going to have to fork over 10 million. <laughs> this isn't enough. <laughs> You're fucking warbling in your colony gaff. Like. This is
2: like that Simpsons joke when Hank Scorpio asks, asks Homer, which country does he prefer, Italy or France? And Homer's like, <laughs> <laughs> yes. Or it was, I don't know. Uh, I feel like the Patreon can't support any kind of legal case that might be brought against us. So we should move on to other celebrities. Uh, there's, been a, there's been a bit of a backlash, Craig, uh, as it continues beyond the terrible... Are you speaking of terrible covers? Gal Godot and friends doing fucking Imagine a couple weeks ago. There's a lot happening on, on the Instagram platform with celebrities yes. showing off how opulent things are. And I guess at the top of this list is your best friend, Aubrey Drake Graham.
1: A man with a jet as well. What's he doing for Canada right now? <laughs> Very little apparently. He's just hanging out in his mansion making up dances. Have you seen the... <laughs> first of all, can we talk about the new single? Which is like a TikTok challenge as a song. It's called Tusi Slide. So it's literally the video is him like in this opulent gaff of his, really desperately putting together this very very simple dance, and he's recorded a song for it. And of course, it's like number one on the Billboard charts, and it's like a whole challenge on TikTok. But it's so like desperate. Um. But anyway, that was like our first glimpse of his gaff. Um. And then readers of Architectural Digest will have gotten even um a deeper tour of the place. So, have you seen these photos? It's a 50,000 square foot space. Um, it was designed by fellow Canadian Ferris uh, Raffaoli. It's like all marble gold trimmings. It's like, um, there's furniture upholstered and dyed ostrich skin. Um, there's an NBA regulation size basketball court. There's an indoor pool made of black granite, which actually looks quite cool. Um, there's a chandelier adorned with 20,000 pieces of hand-cut Swarovski crystal. It's pretty mental and it's pretty gaudy and it's pretty Aubrey. It's like the polar opposite. Like, I know we always talk about Drake and Kanye and Pusha and their feuds. It's the polar opposite of what we've seen in recent times of um, Kim and Kanye's gaff, which is just sparse beyond belief. It's just white. It looks like uninhabitable. This is uninhabitable because it looks like a fucking shopping mall.
2: It's uninhabitable because Drake's in it. That's the fucking reason. (laughs) I haven't seen the photographs, Craig. I haven't heard the song. I've managed to disengage myself from Drake. Not that I was ever too tethered, I guess. But I, yeah, I don't That's really, good. That's healthy. Yeah, I don't really, like, need Drake <laughs> in my life. I, I, I don't understand this kind of strange moment of, like... I think people have been deleting their accounts because they've been getting a lot of backlash. Like, fair enough. If a celebrity lives in a mansion... They live in a mansion. They're not going to not live it's in to a mansion be in a pandemic. <laughs> it's just like, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I agree that the world is is not balanced correctly, but yeah, whatever. I
1: feel like this might have been poorly timed because I guess with Architectural Digest, this was probably set up like months and months ago. It's not like he's going, okay, everyone in their like fucking bed sits, check out my gaff when you've got nothing else to
2: do. Again, though, um, imagine, being, ho- imagine being that reporter or that editor being like, what a scoop we have. We have... Uh, unprecedented access to drake's opulent getaway this is going to be the best thing of our career nope
1: the only in the editorial that accompanies it's the only kind of um bit of a review that's included is like they call it an uh, astonishing domicile which i love (laughs) and it's kind of sounds backhanded right um oh hold on actually the best bit is there's a two-story closet right full of birkin bags it's like a it's a handbag collection that he is putting together for his future wife that he doesn't have yet. Two-story closet.
2: (laughs) (laughs) How many suits would you put in your two-story closet, Craig?
1: I don't know. How many children can you hide
2: in those closets? (laughs) Hey, Drake? (laughs) Uh, Yes, also. Let that boy come home. I mean, again, like legal issues, I I feel like we don't need to get sued. But if we were going to be sued, I mean, I'd like to know, I'd like to get a top... Class lawyer. And with an update on a story that we reported on last year, Universal yes. Music Group has emerged victorious in a legal dispute over alleged damages sustained in a 2008 vault fire. With a judge dismissing a class action suit originally brought last year by several artists in the states, including Soundgarden, the Tupac Shakur estate, Steve Earle, and Hole. Filed on Monday, the decision essentially wraps up a legal battle that began last summer. Uh, there was so much music was lost during this. I mean, the real loss here was... It was horrific. It was really sad. <laughs> like, it was really, like, yeah. awful. It's like, I think the
1: masters of, like, Nevermind and stuff were just completely gone.
2: So, I mean, I'm kind of confused as to how they've managed to get away with this. Uh, again, allegedly. I, I'm not saying anyone did anything. <laughs> A fire. Mo- yeah, yeah. Mother Nature was the problem here, but...
1: I was kind of, yeah, I was I was combing the story, and it seems like there was stuff in the claim that was inaccurate that just made it completely inadmissible. Do you know what I mean? It was one of those, as opposed to them making a really compelling pay- case why they weren't to blame. Do you know what I mean? It seemed like this is a kind of technicality. Well, I mean, I'm not entirely sure,
2: but, it's one of those things. I think, you know, yeah, you got to get your fucking admin right if you're going to go up against yeah. <laughs> a major label. But the music industry is, in fact, a terrifying beast. We know this. There's a lot going on behind the scenes. And as this lawsuit and various other things, even Drake's Mansion, will adhere to there's so much money involved in music, which takes me into this whole Electric Picnic update. So, as you might know, a month ago, Electric Picnic lineup was revealed. Uh, bullish organizer Melvin Ben was like, "Yeah, it's going ahead. Everything's going to be fine." And if people did not enjoy those comments at all, f- smash cut to a month later, earlier this week, managing director of MCD Dennis Desmond has said that he's quote optimistic that this year's festival will go ahead, saying that it's five months away. I were ensure we are in chart- uncharted waters though uh he referenced china and said that we are two months behind them we're not as badly hit with COVID 19 if we're back to normality by july we'd be doing well so before i throw to my chat with jim carroll craig are you excited about going to electric picnic this year
1: (laughs) (laughs) i was excited about going to primavera um and they're still trying to kind of say that it's going to go ahead It's, it's going to be moved um obviously spain um atrociously hit at the moment, which I guess on the flip side, you go, okay, have they peak? Have they had their absolutely dreadful peak and will it kind of resolve quicker? But my, like I very quickly went from hopefully this happens um, early days to hopefully this happens later in the year to a point of like going realistically, even if we get back to some level of normalcy, you can't have tens of thousands of people gathering together at these kind of things at this year, I think, right? Like, am I crazy? I think it's going to be a long time before we see these kind of events happening. And obviously, no decisions have been made as yet for many reasons, because I guess, obviously, governments don't want to freak people out. We're going to be in drip-fed um, precautions and stuff we need to do, which is quite right. Um, and the way the music industry works there's so much money wrapped up in this um as we're about to hear it's that case of okay if you can delay for as long as possible and give kind of dates in the future and say things are still going ahead it gives you more time to get your ducks in a row as opposed to just flat out saying it's not coming so i'm not saying people are being disingenuous but i think a lot of people are trying to buy time as opposed to make sure festivals go ahead
2: Yeah, absolutely. And as I noted, I caught up with Jim Carroll, former on the record columnist for the Irish Times, current Choice Music Prize chairman and the editor of RT Brainstorm for more on this specific issue. Let's have a listen. Delighted to be joined by Jim Carroll. Jim, how is lockdown lockdown quarantine life treating you? It's
0: like the old days, Dave. It, it's, I used to work from home for many, many years and returning, from home, returning to working from home is a joy, albeit with a kind of a two kilometre sort of restriction zone, which I've never had to cope with before. It's grand. I mean, it's, it's I think this weekend, this Easter weekend is when people are going to go stir crazy. and I think things will change an awful lot after this weekend. But like, you know, people seem to be adhering to things and people kind of seem to be moaning, moaning a bit, but just like we're Irish, we moan all the time.
2: Absolutely. Let's uh, cast our eyes back, though, about a month ago when the Electric Picnic lineup was announced. Melvin Benn, a festival organizer, had some choice words at the time. Uh, He said that he doesn't expect to have to postpone or cancel Picnic due to the coronavirus outbreak. I'm not worried about it at all, he said. I'm full steam ahead unless the government here and in the UK says we can't go ahead. I'm 100% of the belief that by June we will all be over the hump and we'll all have forgotten about it, quite frankly. And all you buggers, being the media that were present at the time, will find something else to write about. At this point in time, I have nothing in my head other than planning for the festival to take place at the time that it will take place. When you put it in uh, perspective about the number of people that could be seriously hurt. I think it's been whipped up a little bit but it's a great news story and the reality is that for me I'm about providing entertainment outdoors until somebody forces me to stop You said at the time Jim that those words could very well come back to haunt him
0: yeah, I think those words will definitely haunt him. It's a quote for the ages, and like, there, there are certain things, I suppose, I thought at the time about the quote and why he was, why he said what he said, and it's very interesting that Hugh Lennon in the Irish Times a few weeks ago had a column, and he brought up that very point, but unlike, unlike me, who just kind of like these days, I, I just resor, re, resort to being sarky online, Hugh phoned around, and he asked this very simple question, like, what was Melvin Ben basing his advice around the coronavirus on? And, very simple, he was basing it on British medical evidence at that time you've got to remember basically dave that melvin is a brit and when you're when you're when you're a britain you basically like mean you take your 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 leanings and all your kind of like warnings and your culture from the, the country of your birth Britain. And at the time, Britain was not in any way, shape, or form ready for the coronavirus. You could argue it still isn't, given the kind of like four-figure four deaths we're hearing at the moment. But back then, at the start of March, Melvin Benn arrived into Dublin on a jolly to launch this electric picnic. Why he's launching something that was already sold out is another matter. That's the conversation for another day. So when he was asked about the coronavirus, which was then, I suppose, kind of like foremost in the minds of most people who were at the press conference, he dismissed it because everyone else was dismissing it. His Prime Minister Boris Johnson was dismissing it. The The very scientific and medical advice they were leaning on in in, in the British administration were dismissing it hell Cheltenham's coming up the horse is jumping over fences you know there was known as far as they were concerned the coronavirus was just a bit of a cold a bit of a flu in hindsight Melvin Ben probably knows he made a mistake more importantly Melvin ben's employers know he made a mistake Melvin Ben hasn't been seen since you know there's been there's been not one but two sightings of Dennis Desmond talking to microphones the first a couple of day at the day of the lockdown he appeared on the Ray Darcy show on kind of on RT radio one and talked very like I mean very uh uh, he, he was unguarded and he was just very straight about what was going on in terms of like what was coming down the line and then there's quotes attributed to Dennis Desmond in the Irish Times by Gordon, Gordon Deegan who's a bit of kind of like the man who who, who has a number for Dennis Desmond and Dennis Desmond actually talked to him and again Dennis Desmond it's been very straight about what's going on and the, 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 the truth of the matter is like September is still four or five months away we don't honestly know what's going on but just it, it's interesting just in terms of the culture thing Dave, to kind of parse that a little bit further at the same Time as the Melvin was kind of like, I mean, saying this is nothing to worry about, all you buggers, i.e., the media, should go away and do something else. He's 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 big paymasters. I mean, Dennis is he's is his boss, but then there's the bigger boss, who's Michael Rapino, the head of Live Nation. And like, I mean, if you look back at Rapino's comments regarding coronavirus at the end of February, they were very bullish as well. They, it was very much about this is a bit of a this is the flu. This this won't really affect us. And again, look at the whole ge- geography of the whole thing. Rapino, I think I'm pretty sure, is a Canadian living in America. And again, if you're in America, you're under the whole Trump BS bollocks. And it's kind of like you know you could see where he's thinking. Was coming from there as well, and Live Nation have lost a shed load of money on this, and like you know, it's 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 interesting to kind of see them see them in many ways, kind of like struggling to catch up with where things were but going back to the electric picnic and going back to kind of like me and Melvin's comments at the time, you know I mean, like, you know, in many ways the dude was kind of arriving into Dublin, like I say on a jolly. He'd already got 10 million euros from the pixie head of fucks who bought their tickets so where they didn't even know where who was fucking playing it by Jerry Fish. You know, he was kind of like, he was just being being as bullish as can be. The problem now basically is is that you're in a situation, here we are in April, uh, and we're kind of going like, how long is it going to be before normality returns? I've just been reading really interesting piece in the Atlantic which is kind of teasing out various timelines for a return to quote normality in the US and like you know they're, at, at the conservative estimate they're talking like you know we're talking the end of the year and that's providing another wave doesn't come on. Here in Ireland what's going to happen is like I mean you know the one thing about the government is like aside from kind of a, a, a bit of kind of like ducking and diving and a bit of kind of like I mean we, we're testing 5000 people a day when actually we're not testing 5000 people a day the government have played a fairly straight bat, bat with things here and they may, they may well relax uh, uh, things coming into May and into June. They certainly want to relax things in June if they want to get all the, the students do the Leaving start. So it's like there will be there will be there will be a very gentle relaxation of things. But to be honest, no one is expecting mass gatherings. I would say, but from, from, say, kind of like as a hurling fan, I would say this year's GA Championship, can, can, you can forget about it. You might try and pack it into kind of like me. You, you can't imagine it happening in a closed scenario like you're talking about with MMA and baseball in, in the US. So then when it comes to concerts, I mean, like, you know, it's one thing to kind of think about maybe kind of like, like maybe 1,000 people sitting in the National Concert Hall or 1,500 people in a convention centre. But 50,000 plus lads going, Yahoo's going mad down the field in county leash not a chance this is like you know it all 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 the all the pointers are it's not going to happen and then this creates a couple of problems basically it creates a problem which is a a word beginning with r and that's refunds and if any anyone listens to this podcast will 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 probably have noticed that like when gigs have been rescheduled it's this amazing hey good news the gig has been rescheduled for october 2021 there's no need to exchange your ticket your ticket is still valid and then you're kind of going like well I don't really know what I'm going to be doing in October 2021. Is that band still going to be together? Do I really want to go to that gig then? I want a refund. So they're not talking much about refunds because basically they, they, they all the promoters, this this applies right across the board, MCD, Akins, Pod whoever it is, like they don't really want to get into the kind of like the grass, the, the, the weeds when it comes to refunds, because that money is already in the bank, you know, in the case of electric picnic, it's, it's roughly, I'd say 10 million euros sitting in a Ticketmaster account with a cost center electric picnic on it. So if they have to kind of give that money back to people, it creates all kinds of problems. It creates massive problems. I mean, this is, this is kind of like, I mean, this is Garrett Brooks and Crow Park to the power of kind of like 50,000, you know, because, you know, it, it it's something, it, it's kind of like you're entangling all these kind of like I mean, weird, Weird deals that are in place regarding acts. Have acts been paid deposits? Are, like, I mean, are certain acts have certain acts been paid up and up and full? Are Loud Nation on the kind of like, I mean, on 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 the hoof for various monies? With, with acts are coming over to Europe for a load of different tours. I mean, even if you're kind of like, then you kind of thinking, okay, we'll put the gig forward to 2021. Taking the sylvan for 2021. What about all those acts we're playing? Will Rage Against Machine be like? I mean be be still? We be, be touring again this time next year. It creates so many problems. I mean, the easiest way to do it is really to kind of like I mean to, co- to call about it is and kind of go okay. Like I mean like any Macs. Any Mac presents. You do a festival in Malta called Lost and Found. And today they kind of came out and went. Look, no, we tried to kind of change this to September. It ain't working. We're basically sorry. We're canceling the festival. It's going to happen in April, twenty twenty one. If you want a refund, you can get a refund. If you don't want a refund, happy days. We give you forty pounds credit for drinks whatever we see it in but you want a refund get your refund but for the electric picnic you see it ties into a bigger picture so like like, like, and I know I've been talking a lot as well, Dave. So, so, so sorry about this. You're getting a lot of kind of like you're getting a lot of freewheeling here, um which I suppose to the nature of a podcast. Well, you look at kind of like me in Melbourne, Ben, and Festival Republic. So they've cancelled. I think that they download Festival in the UK, and there's one other festival they cancelled as well. I can't remember the name of. Oh, they cancelled a Great Escape as well in May in Brighton. So you know they, they, it's cancelled, and that's all kind of going on. Festival Republic's part of Live Nation, so it's kind of like it's part of a bigger balance sheet, you know. And there's all kind of questions there. The think about it though, is that like me. I mean, live Nation is the biggest kind of like live music company in the world and when you're the biggest live music company in the world you have a certain amount of clout and it's interesting kind of like talking to bookers and venue bookers and agents and promoters right now and there's certain things coming across one is that artist fees are going to come down Basically, like, mean a lot. A lot of bookers are kind of now going like, "Fuck that! I'm not paying that fucking name." Not naming the DJ thirty five grand for two hours of crack cocaine. uh, Crack cocaine sent in my club. If if we give him ten grand, so fees are going to start coming down. That will also apply to acts. But like, also, like, you know, we'll get to a stage where you will need money to survive. These promoters will need money to survive. And if you're someone like Live Nation, you've got the sort of runway of lots of money in place. You've got the kind of like, you know, I suppose the kind of like the the ticketmaster side of things as well. Well, so like it's going to be very interesting, kind of like, I mean, six six months to twelve months down the road to see who will actually survive. So that's a very long-winded answer to whatever the question was you gave me ten minutes ago.
2: (laughs) I mean, listen, don't worry about the freewheeling aspect. That's why I've called you up. I guess I will ask you though as a follow-up. Dennis Desmond's comments are obviously uh, probably a step in the right direction, even if it is something in a form of damage control. Can I ask you though? I mean, is it irresponsible at this stage? Should they be just cancelling it outright? Is it a case of let's just call this a day?
0: That's a very good question. And it's, it's, it's interesting to kind of look at the, the events that have been cancelled. And this is where a certain amount m- number of your listeners kind of go like, I've never heard of that festival. So that's, that's a really underground festival. You've got things like Bloom and the Tullamore sh- show being cancelled. They are a big events. So bloom happens in June, and that that was quickly out the gate. It's a big gardening, sort of like food, sort of like uh, uh, plants and garden kind of festival. Pulls in 120,000 people to Phoenix Park over the June Bank Holiday weekend, where a certain amount of other people are over in the the, the Royal Hospital of and chewing their jaws off at forbidden fruit. So that was quickly out the gate and it's cancelled. It, it was like I me, mean, no messing around. The Tullamore Show cancelled. The Tullamore Show happens in mid-August, Dave, in, in Tullamore, obviously, in Offaly. Again, it's an agricultural show. There'll be bullocks on display there'll be kind of like clans. they'll be kind of like showing off tractors things like that but it canceled very early so you're kind of going like jesus that's august that's kind of canceled early as well so you're you're seeing different events kind of like being cancelling in the case of electric picnic they're probably having they're probably hedging their bets because again it also comes down to this thing like i mean was there insurance was was there cancellation insurance in place what did did, did they think about getting cancellation insurance and think about cancellation insurance as well as a cancellation insurance is damn expensive so if you're a big act touring worldwide, you know, you're, you're, you're someone who's maybe making six figure sums, uh, six figure sums every time you play a gig. In order to buy cancellation insurance, it'll cost you one whole 6 figure some fee to buy your cancellation insurance. So I wonder, like, I mean, has, is the electric picnic, has it got cancellation insurance in place? Look what happened in Austin with South, South Westpool. I mean, you know, they had they, they, they were waiting to, for the city of Austin to tell them you can't go ahead. Is something similar going on here? Is it being a situation where they're for the government to come out and kind of say, well, actually, there's going to be no events more than 500 people to be held in this country for the rest of 2020, you know? So they could be playing, they could be playing a, a very kind of canny financial game there. I mean, they the, the thing about it is, like, I've had... I mean, I mean I, i've heard very little i suppose kind of like backbiting about refunds from anyone it seems to be something that people are, re, are avoiding but what's going to happen is that if this goes on for months you know okay like you you've got pascal's kind of like dig out for 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 companies and you've got kind of like I mean, the department, of, department of social protection given the kind of like I mean the the, the the amplified sort of like social welfare payments that's great but like that that, that strikes me as something that's Finite. That's something that maybe three months down the road will suddenly kind of run out. At that stage, then you've got someone who's maybe two, you've got a couple with, with, who've bought tickets to electric picnics. So that's kind of roughly four hundred fifty euros maybe that they've kind of put on that. That four hundred fifty euros might be need to pay the electric bill, or maybe, might might be need to pay another kind of electricity bill, or maybe pay for groceries, or pay for like a kids like like like, like me, me kids' crash fees at that stage. You know, so people will be kind of. I'd like, be interested to see when people start clamoring for a refund. But right now, though, given the way given the the way things are. I don't think that, I don't think it it's necessary kind of like time to to call it. More importantly I would reckon is like something like say the Kaleidoscope Festival, which Festival Republic are involved in, which happens at the end of June, which is a family friendly festival. I'm quite amazed that they haven't put the kibosh kind of on that because to my mind like that's that's much nearer. Or something like, you know, God forbid longitude. You know, longitude in July, you know I mean that's another festival that I'd be kind of going to myself like that's on very soon. And you know you you you, you, you I, I can't see the government, given the sort of like the, the advice they're getting and the way they're acting on that advice, being in the position to kind of go, okay, you know, let's, let's all go, let's you're, you're right, let, let them all off the lash, let forty thousand young lads and lasses into into Māori Park in July and have it like that. I mean, you got to remember, veracruz is a big fan of the electricity, so maybe he's holding out there, you know. But like, you know, joking <laughs> aside, I, I I I would say if, if at the start of the summer they haven't called it, well then they 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 they're 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 dicing, they're dicing. But remember as well that it's a it's the money it's the it's a it's a big big money game i mean we're talking 10 million at least in ticket for in in, in ticket fees cause i can't remember what the capacity ridiculous capacity the place is now you're also talking like I mean fees from brands fees from vendors you know it's it's, it's a complicated thing and you know you, you you also kind of look at it kind of like lefty picking if it doesn't happen the first week in september you can't reschedule it you know, you just can't reschedule that amount of acts, that amount of crew. You know, there was a very interesting piece in kind of Tony Kate article in the Irish Times. He talked to some production people, and they were saying about how long it takes to kind of put, like like put a show together. And like they're, they're like, they're, and and these are production people who are used to kind of like I mean like put, going in, uh, putting up sites, putting put, putting venues in place. You know, and it t- it does take time. And also, like I mean, you're, you're also the other thing, the other big event that happens in September that i would be keeping an eye on as well to see if they pull it because if They pull it, well then you're suddenly kind of going, all right, is the ploughing. And like I mean the plowing is the other big September event. And if you've seen if you've seen those big kind of like mean rural agricultural kind of days out like Bloom and the Tull More Shore already pulling, if the if the plowing goes, I I would say like you'd be looking at electricity go, all right, well lads, what are you thinking about now, you know?
2: Okay, I guess lastly, in terms of a in terms of a human behavior kind of point of view and a cultural point of view how enthusiastic, for lack of a better word, would you be to go to a gig tomorrow if restrictions were lifted? Or And how do you think people will react mm. when eventually, if we eventually get back to some kind of quote unquote normality, just in terms of people? Because the idea, like I went to the 1975 a month ago in three arena, 13,000 people. And the idea of that now gives me fucking panic attacks. So where are you yeah. at on that one?
0: Yeah, that's, that, 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 that's, that, that is a really interesting question on so many different levels, right? So when I'm watching, if I'm watching a TV series now or, or, or a TV program or a movie here at home and I see crowded people, you sort kind of kind of shirk back in your chair, kind of going, that's kind of transgressive, you know, what I mean, and it's only a month ago, I mean, the last gig I was at was, I'm not sure I met you there, it was at the Choice Music Prize night in Vickers Street, right, and I remember kind of like, you know, it, I'd been with the judges that night so there was me and kind of like 11 people in the room so that was grand, with it was social distancing that kind of kept away from me, so it was like, there, 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 was, there was that, and then I went into Vickers Street at the end and it was fairly mad then i went into the after show and the after show was held in the shelter and i literally walked in i couldn't get past the crush at the bar and i just said to myself fuck this i'm out of here And like i i I, it wasn't okay it wasn't a coronavirus related but it was just like it was so fucking busy and now i'm taking to myself do you want to go back to that i mean and there will be there will be an element there will be an element of that i mean this is like nothing we have ever experienced in this country before you know like you know my, my my day job i'm i'm dealing with a lot of kind of historians and academics or talking about like me say the emergency in world war Two or the spanish flu and yeah they yeah the, the the collier outbreak in Ireland in the 1830s and you're kind of going, yeah but the problem now is that we've so many different We've such a different level of expectation and experience around things. You know, we are the generation who travel. We are kind of like mean. We're the generation who goes these gigs. Who kind of like mean eat out. Who like who who kind of like you know good like you know. You suddenly realise that for all the social connectivity of the likes of Zoom that we're on at the moment, or kind of like mean social media, we're still a very kind of like mean face to face social kind of like mean social being. But you know, you you, I I keep wondering. I keep mean to kind of get around this and asking some kind of like mean some Asian academic. Kind of like what's it? What 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 was what's what happens there after say kind of like SARS or kind of like I mean you know after these other like I mean pandemics you know that never reached here they all they they, they 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 never got as far as 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 Western Europe or the United States but say how did it affect them as in like how do you go back to normal because they all went back to normal and is that kind of like is that more kind of societal thing where they're where they're used to doing things in a different way. Here, I don't know, I, I, there's, there's, it, it's interesting, you know, like I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm, my two kilometer zone includes kind of Fairview Park. So so, so in, 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 these days, Fairview Park is kind of busy, you know what I mean? So it, you, you go in there and people aren't, they're, they're trying to respect their kind of like their two meter zone, but they're not really because they're Irish and they're kind of bumbling around a bit, you know. And you're kind of thinking like, OK, I think what would happen is I think people would revert fairly fast. I think there'd, there'd be a kind of a, there'd be a month or so of, of sort of, of kind of trying things out and be, there'd be a month of kind of being be, be nervy about things. But, you know, it it, it, it all depends that does this bloody bastard virus come back again? Does it, does it like, is there a second wave? Is there, you know, again, the day job means I'm talking to an awful lot of like, you know, like dudes who are very pointy headed and who are kind of like pointing out all these different modelings. And one of the models I keep hearing about now is the second wave what happens if there's a second wave? What happens basically is that, that if, the, like, you know, we get this under control because of social distancing and the rate of the, the ROs is down to less than, the, the rate of infection is down to less than one, and, uh, like, that's great, we've got it under control, and that's fine, but suddenly, you know, people start travelling again, people head out to, kind of, like, me in China, head out to Italy, go to the States, and just suddenly it's back to the way it was, and next thing you know, you've got a dose of it back again before you've got a vaccine in place, you know? And there, there is that, kind of, like there is that danger element, there is that element like, are we in for, kind of, like, a, a a, a long sustained, maybe maybe year, 18 month period when you'd be kind of like you 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 there'll be klaxons going and you know you'd be kind of told get back in your house, yeah, it's back it's it's back in the neighborhood again, you know. You're kind of you're kind of wondering about that. But I I, I think you know we, we we as humans we've got used to the idea of kind of gathering together and going to going to these gigs, and I think they it, it will come back, but I would say there will be a lot of caution. There'll be a lot of caution, and because Ireland is full of messers as well, you can just imagine the fucking idiotic idiotic behaviour that would go on you know
2: on that note Jim Carroll thank you so so much for joining me no problem Dave cheers Jim you can find him on Twitter at by Jim Carroll if you'd like to hear more from him thanks again man and Craig it's time for our album review this week this is it is indeed a very interesting record I would say experimental as all hell this is Eve Toomer the record is Heaven to a Tortured Mind and this track is called Gospel for a New Century
0: Same by design, girl Take it softer, you know I'm out
1: my mind, girl Don't make this harder Come and light
0: my fire, baby How much longer till December? Say what you really?
1: Yeah, that was Gospel for a New Century from Eve Toomer Um, to give you a bit of background um, about this quite mysterious artist. I would say Eve Toomer is essentially like both an Aphex twin reimagining of Ziggy Stardust, like aesthetically, but also very much a flesh and bones artist um, raised in Knoxville, Tennessee, um, which is quite a jarring thing. Previously gone by a bunch of names, including uh, Sean Bowie, which may or not be their real name, Uh, I would guess not. Um, Apparently based in like Turin of late, no idea what that means for their current um, geographical situation in this madness. But really, I mean, all in all to say, not quite the less you know the better, but there's no need to dig hugely into the backstory of Eve Humor because so much of it is about the mystique. So they would have started out in the same kind of avant-garde, you know, Hollywood warehouse shows where you might catch a Dean Blunt or other DIY moody types, um, previously known as Themes as well. From a live point of view, you could expect like very caustic sheets of noise, um, challenging arty performances, while the recorded stuff has like increasingly shown this sweet side. It's experimental, but it's pop. Um, You could use like Trobbing Gristle as a reference, but also you know Lost Soul cuts um the likes of the feeling when you walk away which is like a Lost Soul classic from the album Serpents their biggest statement to date was Safe in the Hands of Love, which came out two years ago. It was um, their Warp debut. It arrived kind of typically with no real warning. We had a few singles ahead of it. It was one of my albums of the year. It was a lot of love for it. And with that, I guess the trill was in the juxtaposition of sound. So it was like the sonic, light and shade. A track like Noid, for example, was this explosive anti-police anthem. And it was full of like anthems for outsiders The thrill this time, I think, with Heaven to a Tortured Mind is seeing how far into the light, I guess, Eve can drag this sound. Like, mainstream stardom might not await, but the flirtations are definitely there, right?
2: The immediacy of this one is what grabbed me. I think, ultimately, with... I was a big fan of the last record, and I I like a gap. I don't necessarily want artists to uh, oversaturate themselves, I suppose, and... When I realised that they were coming back with a new record, I was like, oh, okay, cool. I mean, I'll I'll take some more of this for sure. But I like the fact that it's not a recreation of Safe in the Hands of Love. It's definitely brighter, as you say. It's funny because I had the same thought. I was like, they're never going to end up on fucking uh, our beloved Radio Nova (laughs) or uh, Today (laughs) FM. or Maybe in 20 years. Or or (laughs) whomever. But there is definitely something more accessible here, I think. The opening track is fantastic. Uh, I'm yeah. This is, I found myself, I, I've had this weird kind of moment. And I think, you know, we all have. We're all in this weird moment. And when it comes to music, I've kind of found myself not really keeping track. Not like, I don't keep a diary or anything. I don't keep like a word doc. I maybe I should because there is so much music. But I usually have got a running playlist going on Spotify of kind of songs I've enjoyed this year which kind of takes me back to the albums and it's kind of a, you know, a jigsaw piece type situation. But I found myself in the last month or two just not really paying attention outside of just doing the show. And I've had a really good week in terms of music. I've actually had one of those nice kind of um, big time dopamine hits based on most of the things that you're listening to and just being... Very fucking hungry for me too. Actually, it's good. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I'm
1: finally back into that mode. It's great. It's yeah. The
2: best feeling in the fucking world. I mean, I love it, it so is. much, and it made me kind of. I went on Twitter and I was like, "Look, you know, it's April, whatever." But like, what's everyone's favorite albums of the year so far? And people came back with like big lists and stuff, and it kind of made me compile one of my own. And I was like, actually, it has been a decent year so far. There have been some fantastic records. Um, and you know, go onto my Twitter if you want to see my list, or if you want to you know see other people's kind of suggestions, because. It's, it's strange, even though we're confined to our gaffes and everything at the moment, you can kind of tune out and not really be there. So I really, really was happy with my very, very first listen of this album. Because to me, it confirmed that Eve Toomer, uh, they are one of the most interesting artists around right now. Uh, one of the most confident yeah. artists around right now. And I love this album from the first time I heard it. I think this is one of the best albums of the year so far.
1: Um, I I kind of loved it straight away. I, I do think the whole thing sounds like it could be called like Escape from Uncanny Valley. Because where in the past, like, there was nods to pop and there was references to kind of different genres, different musical figures. I think all that kind of snaps into focus this time around. So, like, a lot of the experimentalism from, like, previous releases does give way slightly, right? This is a more linear listen, I think. There's a lot of kind of 4-4 four, four beats. There's a lot of verse-chorus-verse-chorus. Verse, chorus. Um, so you do you lose some of the kind of trilling high points where you're just like slammed with some you know a blast of sonic noise, some of that kind of um sonic narrative stuff I occasionally talk about. So the big question I guess going into it was like if you're doing slightly more traditional stuff and like it's all relative, does Eve have the writing chops for that kind of stuff? And I think they definitely do. Like it, it this struck me as if we think of like an aerial pink as resurrecting some like lost um, 70s, um, you know, chart radio pop songs. This is like the kind of the Quiet Storm album cuts R&B version of that. Um, I think, I don't know if this is the masterpiece, but I think there's like a Before Tomorrow classic to come from Eve Humor. Um And what struck me about this was, with all kind of apologies to Pearl Jam, who we talked about last week, I think this is the most rock and roll album we've had on the show for quite a while. Um, because obviously, you know, after that kind of wonderful, like, um, horn inflected opener, there's a lot of kind of guitars. We're getting nods to Jimi Hendrix. Everything is very, like, based in bass. I think Eve Tumors talked about, like, getting a bass guitar when they were 15 or 16. And their father loving Motown. It's like some of the only personal details we've got about the artists. And like you can definitely hear that coming to the fore. So there's nods to Parliament, uh, Funkadelica, Maggot Brain, all that kind of stuff. Um, But I think more so like the spirit of rock and roll, like thematically, comes through quite a bit. Like it's all about a kind of like finding salvation in others and like striving for something and... You know, with an artist like this, it would be very easy to get into a conversation about like identity politics and, you know, question marks over gender and stuff. I think they're very much saying that isn't part of what, it's not who I am, it's like what I'm striving for. And so often on these songs, they're about like what you can get from relationships and how you kind of contort yourself to be enough for other people and... I think that's like laced throughout kind of rock and roll from like wild thing to born to run to you know can't get no satisfaction it's different to hip-hop which is like i've been through the mill but i'm like all i need to be and people need to recognize that like there's a reckoning coming I think with rock and roll it's like, okay, I'm kind of incomplete and I'm trying to strive for a better place. Um, and that is like essentially every song on this record seems to be about that. Um, and there's just bags of hooks, right? Like it's just the choruses are big, even if it is verse chorus, verse chorus, they're kind of instantly hooky. The music is grungy and gritty, just really well executed. And every time I, I came back to it, it was it was a joy. It didn't feel like an effort of, you know, we always Well, I often say we need the five kind of listens through before you can review something, I'm up to about 12 or 13, I think, and it's just, I keep coming back to it.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I had that elastic band nature as well. In terms of any kind of comparisons or touchstones, I was reminded of the late Jay Riotard at times. I was reminded of that kind of supreme confidence dressed up in an aggressive, punky spike, but also the production is... Like very hewn in a certain way, where like it is a wash with guitars and it's hooky as fuck, as you say. But it's yeah. I mean, like I think it takes a lot of skill and dexterity to pivot to this kind of side of their art without it becoming too obvious that it's a case of well, let's just make some pop songs because I wouldn't even go that far with this one. I do think it's challenging for someone to walk in. I literally had my housemate walk in during the week while I had it on in the kitchen. <laughs> And they were like, what the fuck's this? (laughs) I was just like, listen. Really? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But I was like, (laughs) listen to it. It's really, really good. And it's like, it's not, to me it was immediate, but I I am coming off the back of that last record. So if I was to recommend this artist to anybody, I'd say start here. Because I do think you are instantly rewarded for your time, which isn't that long. I mean, it's 12 tracks, sure. Two more than I would like normally. But it's what, fucking 36 minutes like or something? 36, 37 minutes, yeah. flies by. I think
1: my brain must be broken from like being a music critic because I would be like, this is indistinguishable from what Julep is doing at times. <laughs> it strikes me as challenging, like compared to previous releases, and certainly like the album before last, like the Serpents and stuff. It was very challenging, and I think in a, a less accomplished way. I think actually for the artist to put this out, it's more of a challenge because they're, it's you know playing by the rules but trying to do interesting things within those limitations. But there wasn't too much where. Like A lot of it felt very straight laced. Identity Trade was one moment where there's a kind of like a really hooky, jagged guitar m- motif that's weird, and at the same time, some like atonal jazz just floats in and it shouldn't mesh at all, but it does. Um, so that was like a moment where I was like, oh, this is kind of glorious chaos, but there was some well, there's not a huge amount of chaos elsewhere. The strong is the songs are just really strong, like um, Strawberry, Strawberry Pri- Privilege is great, it's like a Womack and Womack teardrops thing which is like filtered through kate bush doing like a victorian song um kerosene i think is my highlight diana gordon kind of adds vocals as well it's like this angelic thing and i think that works really well as a counterpoint to eve whose vocals can be i think maybe limited at times particularly when you're doing this kind of music um it's a bit more emo-ish and i don't know if there's a huge amount of range it's enjoyable for sure but i like that counterpoint um but yeah, it's, it's not a straightforward set of songs, but it is the most orthodox thing they've done, and it's, it's a huge success, I think.
2: There's times vocally when they're kind of fighting against drums that feel like they were programmed deliberately to combat them, and I think the fact that they rise above it vocally, and again, that confidence, is a testament to what we have here. I think this is great. Where do they go next, though, is the question.
1: Uh, I really don't know. I, I think this is like definitely following a trend because uh, Safe in the Hands of Love was moving more towards uh, mainstream stuff. This is a move further, so I think they've made a concerted artistic effort to try out the spotlight and see if they can bring their brand of um, kind of Sonic Madness into something that could capture more ears like i don't think it's going to end up on the radio but it might end up in more playlists so i think this is definitely the route to go down towards I, I i like i think the aesthetic works perfectly well i would just i think if the songwriting can improve even more um lyrically i think i would like less enigma sometimes like some of the lyrics do become as i say it's great rock and roll stuff it's great like born to run i'm trying to get somewhere and i like a you know this kind of relationship is gonna be the fucking making or failing of everything and blah 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 but it is we're not really learning much about the artist if they wanted to open up in that way fantastic um but just keep doing what you're doing would be my advice (laughs) very
2: good craig (laughs) Uh, it's a it's a very strong eight out of ten for me one of the best albums of the year so far
1: yeah, definitely an 8 out of 10, because I think there is room for a total masterpiece. Um, so yeah, tempered with that. I do think like the penultimate track being an instrumental, which is quite nice, but then it moves into a kind of slower, smoother um, fade-out track. They kind of lose a bit of momentum. So it's an 8 out of 10, a couple of marks off, but getting towards sheer, sheer brilliance.
2: Next week on the show, album-wise, it's the impossible decision, but we've made it. We are going to review The Strokes the new We're abnormal the <laughs> that's why I'm so hyped <laughs> it should be noted though because I actually did not cop that it was this week as well Hamilton Lighthizer's new album is out as well on the exact same day so that's going to be a big oh, really? day treat yeah Hamilton Lighthizer of the Walkman fame and Hamilton and Rostam from that amazing album from a couple of years ago is dropping a brand new record as well so it's a tough one but The Strokes is what we said we would do in advance so it'll be The Strokes but I will absolutely be listening to Hamilton as well so that's next yeah, week yeah
1: have you seen The Strokes of uploaded um this new like skype chat thing they're doing as a band it's on youtube it's very awkward but very
2: funny sounds it's (laughs) like julian casablanca yeah it's
1: like oh yeah it's like julian kind of bringing up like so has anyone read meet me in the bathroom and the rest of the band being like "Eh, no never heard of it at one point albert references a song on like come down machine and nick Valencia starts trying to play it and plays a different song and he's like oh i can't remember what that song is like just completely dismissing half the band's like fucking r- more recent releases. There's loads of those gems. It's great. They talk about human centipedes. Check it out. I'm
2: excited for this album. I hope it turns out better. Yeah. I hope it turns out better than Bernie Sanders' presidential campaign because. Oh, man. Yeah, we have to bring it down. We're, we're on too much of a high, Craig. I needed to bring us down. <laughs> Sonic architect Adam via Zoom has put his hand over his face, which is not good for you at the moment, man. Be careful. Listen biden's gonna knock it out of the park (laughs) all right okay it's time to get into our top five deep dive and like we said it's worst cover songs craig i found this impossible to get down to five yet again and but i've done it I've done it, Craig.
1: Yeah. Did you put any kind of... Um, we were a bit open with this. We didn't put on any major official perimeters, but was there any kind of personal limitations you brought to it? Like, for example, I, I kind of... There's obviously so many terrible, terrible covers. I was like, okay, I'm personally going to steer clear of like X-Factor type stuff because it's like shooting fish in a barrel. I was also like, the, the artists have to be somewhat well-known because, you know, you can get into absolute drops that way I think that was the only way I could in any way get it down to a short list
2: I've gone in the opposite direction on that on a couple <laughs> or oh, you've just gone the more so we'll see I will say this uh I, on Twitter at handrea Dave I put out the call and uh, it's again I'm not just being like oh go to my Twitter I mean like it's cool. You can block me afterwards. I don't care. But if you go there, the thread that resulted was genuinely jaw dropping and eye opening. And I do feel with the, me kind of saying, "Here's what we're doing this week." I I I want to include everyone and be like, "Hey, you know, here's what this person said." But it could just be it could make for really boring audio. However, I will say that this week in particular, I was very educated by people, and I think the majority of my list came from that call out. So I was I was oh, really? I was willing to be educated again. Yeah, I went with my gut in some places, but I also was like. Some of the ones that got sent in, I was like, these are, these are, I can't argue against these. They are that bad. So listen, here's what I'll do. This is like the gold standard for what I'm looking for here. So take a listen to this and this is kind of on the wavelength that we're doing. absolutely appalling stuff there from louise who used to be an eternal then she became louise then she married jamie redknapp i don't think they're together anymore i can only presume that this song was the reason for the dissolution of the marriage still
1: louise though
2: (laughs) It's it's really bad, right? I mean, like, this is like what I thought of when I thought of oh, worst cover songs, but I was like, actually, maybe rather than being my number one, it should be like this is what I'm on about. Um Louise doing a terrible pop cover complete with dance routine of Steeler's Wheel Stuck in the Middle With You, made famous by Reservoir Dogs, of course, and yeah, the obvious joke, this is much more torture than poor Marvin Nash ever received. It's just terrible, terrible stuff, and yeah, no need to really do a forensic analysis of that. Instead, we'll jump into my top five and kicking it off is anyone who watched world cup 2018 on rte i apologize for putting you through this yet again A list on Craigs uh, recently, and now bottom of mine it's Maroon 5 with three little birds. Which, of course, every single time RTE cut to a fucking ad break during World Cup 2018, which was an amazing World Cup, by the way, but every single time you would get this thing where you would see. Two drumsticks being hit and it was a scramble across your fucking table to get the remote control, taking your knees out in the process to hit that mute button. Because here was Maroon 5 with their horrendous, sugary, sweet bollocks. And just, I mean, I mean, listen, uh, this is another criteria for my list here, by the way. I hate the original of this song. It's terrible. (laughs) But This is Express Elevator to Hell. Kill me. The original's
1: all right, though, right? It's just overplayed. And speaking of overplayed, yeah. Like, this cover version, I feel like I've heard this cover more times than I've heard my own name spoken throughout my life. (laughs) (laughs) It was just... It nearly ruined football. (laughs) Like, what? It should have been one of the happiest times of our lives. And it kind of was. But, like, for those 20-second bursts, just awful. And combined with the, like, whole commercial aspect, the fact that, like, the song has nothing to do with... The band, it doesn't have anything to do with the brand, It do, which doesn't have anything to, like, sponsorship has nothing to do with the football. It's all these disparate elements just creating this hellish nothingness. <laughs> so soulless, it's unbelievable.
2: I mean, considering that the build-up to that World Cup was all about how how much violence there was going to be, how much oppression there was going to be, how many people were going to be discriminated against, how this was the most soulless FIFA World Cup in existence. And the worst thing that came out of it was this. <laughs> It takes some fucking doing.
1: It does, yeah. Would you consider this to be a crime against humanity? Yes. Adam
2: Levine. Is that too strong? No, Adam Levine should be in the fucking joy. Let's move on.
1: <laughs> All right. Okay. So my first choice is going in a slightly different direction, right? So this is an artist that I have huge amount of respect for. Um, I think I recommended in recent weeks on this very show as like a, a you know, a seminal artists, you should go back and like delve into their back catalogue, their 80s stuff. Incredible. Always trying to push the envelope. And this is a case of them trying to push the envelope a bit too far. Um, So this was taken from an entire covers album, which was supposed to then beget this a further covers album of the covered artists doing their own work, right? Doing this artist's own work. It didn't quite come together. Um, it seemed like a lot of the artists that were covered didn't quite appreciate what was going on at all. And you can hear why now with my number five. These Craig. Yeah, you're you're not mistaken. That was apparently Street Spirit. And it was Peter Gabriel, who <laughs> I adore. <laughs> um, that was your first time hearing what that, Dave.
2: What fucking horror have you unleashed upon me?
1: What was he going for? Like, was it some kind of Scott Walker? Like, the orchestration in the back sounds like something that could possibly work, but the execution... So, this was from um, a 2010 album called uh, Scratch My Back. So, he was covering Radiohead, he covered Bonnie Vare, he covered Lou Reed, Arcade Fire, and his whole approach. By the way, this is after eight years of Peter Gabriel not releasing anything. He's a really slow moving artist. Um, and he comes out with this. This, I think, is the worst thing on it. It's the worst moment in his career, but the rest of it doesn't really stand up. Like, there's a version of My Body is a Cage, which is kind of okay, but this is just excruciating. And, um, then he was hoping that all the artists he covered w- would, as I say, like, return the favour and cover his work. Um, Radiohead opted out. Something did come out, like, four years later where Bonnie ver jumped in. I think he had to get some artists he hadn't even covered to, like, cover his tracks because it was just a total shit show. Lou Reed did an incredible version of Salisbury Hill, which is just pure noise, which you should also check out. Um, but the Radiohead story is that he, he admitted himself. Um, he sent the file to Tom York... And he was able to see, like, had it been opened or listened to. And it was listened to once. <laughs> and Peter Gabriel says he was told that Tom York um didn't listen to it. And he said, that didn't sound right. He must have listened to it. The band were not pleased. They didn't respond <laughs> at all <laughs> it was, uh, to him reaching out. And it's just like... Like, he's clearly going for a huge artistic statement, but it's excruciating to listen to. Terrible, terrible execution from one of the greatest artists of our time.
2: You've managed to set me up perfectly for my next choice here. And also, I have nothing more to add because I'm just sad now. But essentially, but not in the way that I'm intended to be. (laughs) Not in the way that it was written originally. (laughs) (laughs) A much different level of despair has been unlocked. So fair play. But, (laughs) But here's the thing, right? You say one of the greatest of artists of all time doing, uh, like stepping on, like on their own toes here. Uh, what I've got up next is similar in terms of tone and in terms of pure misguidedness. But I wonder if Ireland, if the, if the island of Ireland, if I can quote that amazing question time <laughs> contributor. The whole island. <laughs> the whole island. I wonder if the whole island of Ireland has ever produced an artist as naff as this one. And I hope it never produces a cover as bad as this one because, quite frankly, this is Errol fucking Bleach. And I'm sorry, but here's my number four.
0: I look at her and she stares almost straight back at me, but her eyes glaze over like she's looking straight through me. Then her eyes must have closed for what seems an eternity. When they open, she's looking down at her feet. Dry your eyes, mate. I know it's hard to take, but her mind has been made up. There's plenty more fish in the sea. Dry your eyes, mate. I know you want to see how much this pain hurts. But you've got to walk away now. It's over.
1: <laughs> so then I move my hand up from down by my side. It's shaking my like, head. Okay, travesty. I
2: mean... Fucking hell. The one, the only Brian Kennedy with a cover of The Streets Dry Your Eyes. I believe it was for a Ray Darcy compilation when they were doing that kind of stuff. I think it's called.
1: Of course it was. Even better than the real thing. This could only live on a Ray Darcy compilation.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And die horribly. I mean, so here's the thing, right? I hate The Streets. I'm, I'm not afraid to say it. I recognize that the first record was particularly influential and groundbreaking. I do think that Mike Skinner has some great songs. I don't think that this is one of them. This would be... No, so maudlin. I I, I mentioned Express, Lift to Hell, and like, if there ever was, you know, in the grand tradition of now, that's what I call music, if there was now, that's what I call Dave having a nervous breakdown across, say, a CD or two, this is on there. Uh, The original, Dry Your Eyes by the Streets is on there. Natasha Beddenfield, These Words... Rage Light America, the songs that really get under my skin and want me to just perish horribly over an eternity, that's what these songs are. So it takes some fucking doing, doesn't it, to come along and make it somehow worse.
1: Because I'm not a fan of the original either, because I hate that whole, like, salted earth. you know, men have feelings too, matey matey bullshit. The original, by the way, Chris Martin was supposed to sing the chorus. It's just like fucking hell can you imagine that <laughs> this version is so terrible yeah it is obviously even worse but at least there's more comedic value i can get through this because i'm laughing ridiculously throughout
2: it <laughs> he thinks he's making a statement though he it's, thinks he's making
1: it's so impassioned that's what i, I love about it <laughs> do you know what i mean like he's really selling it um it's failing but to but sell it's, it. it's the cadence
2: it's the cadence of the verses where it's like that horrible gross knowing arrogant as fuck thing of like i'll turn into a little conversation i'll turn into a little chat with me and the listener oh yeah i'm imparting a secret to just them and then we'll hit that chorus and then when you think he can't get any worse he does that unbelievably drawn out like over a bit and i'm just like brian you need to stop you you need to stop music you You need to
1: stop everything When you'd start doing that kind of sing speaking thing, I'm I'm immediately out. Agreed. But there's so many bad like Irish stars doing covers. I was tempted to put in Brian McFadden doing a change is gonna come (laughs) the Sam Cook song. Sorry, but I was like, no, that
2: really is. Please tell me that's not a real thing.
1: (laughs) It is a real thing. Joking. This like anthem of like disaffected um, African American kind of like the downtrodden of the world, and Brian McFadden trying to sell it (laughs) like he was born by the fucking river in a little tent. What a Uh, break. But it didn't make it. But this is a
2: great show. (laughs) Yeah, it's gross. Okay, let's have your one, please. All right, so I started
1: with a massive star really trying to make a big artistic statement. And uh, this is two massive stars really not trying to make a big artistic statement. Don't you stop man?
2: No, I veto this. I veto this immediately. No, not happening. This is this is great. This is one of the most atrocious
1: no. things you could possibly hear. It is, of course, Mick Jagger and David Bowie doing. I guess dancing in the street. Um, the original, of course, by uh, Martha and the Vandellas. Um, a great 60s song, and this is like. This is the greatest example of just how the 80s production, first of all, destroyed so many old great songs. You've just like got dreadful, tinny, awful fucking <laughs> synths in place of horns. And on top of it, you've got, obviously, this is so wrapped up with the greatest video of all it's time. It's right? It's astonishing. <laughs> Which is like Mick Jagger in fucking turquoise, Bowie in some ridiculous flowing jacket, the worst dance moves you've ever seen. I like, think it was conceived for Live Aid, uh, 1985 just the absolute nadir of Boatman's career. Um, Mick Jagger never really recovered. Uh, (laughs) It took David Bowie, like, maybe 20 years to find his muse again. Um, I think, like, neither of them (laughs) are trying whatsoever. The opening is so, so bad, where they're just they're so detached from reality that they're just shouting out the names of countries that I guess their fans are in. (laughs) Like, UK! It's just at one point. South America! Fucking entire continent. (laughs) Mick Jagger just blaring out, South America! At the start of like, one of the best soul songs. Oh disgusting the, uh, the, the version
2: the version of this where someone took out the music from the video and it's just them like yeah. running in place and dancing around and the noises of it is fucking astonishing. Ah, uh, so uh, come on man, come on. This is this, <laughs> I'm not saying it's a classic, because it's certainly not, but there's nothing it's doing no harm. It's a bit of fun. The lads It's doing quite a
1: bit of harm. <laughs> like this song is so, so strong to destroy it is very impressive. All right. Very, very impressive. Bowie actually wasn't great with covers, I must say. Like, obviously, Sorrow is incredible, but he put out, like, he put out a record, he put out pin ups in, like, the 70s, and it just had some horrendous takes on, like, Beatles songs. I don't know. He just didn't have a feel for it. Maybe he was just so, so singer and artist. It didn't work. But in this case, it was obviously such a, like, fucking half baked, <laughs> like, let's get these two guys together. I mean, they're obviously together for the video. I assume they recorded the vocals on the same day, maybe on their lunch break for the video. It's just, (laughs) uh, I don't know.
2: (laughs) It's it's weird because... Horrendous. Okay, yeah, I mean, not great at covers, but not bad at team-ups. I mean, obviously Under Pressure is amazing. Yeah, phenomenal. And I enjoyed I'm Afraid of Americans with Trent Reznor, of course. You know, he's he's not the biggest culprit here. Jagger is stepping all over him.
1: This was, oh yeah, well, this was that moment as well for Bowie where he was like, he'd just done Let's Dance. So he was finally like the mainstream pop star, um, whereas previously he was just like the critically acclaimed people that are into music uh, star. And he, I mean, he totally sold out at this point, right? Like he was just looking for pop hits. This is like so unrecognizable from like the Bowie of the 70s. <laughs> it's ludicrous. <laughs> um, and i just hate it but i love the video if we can keep the video um without the music as we actually have a version of online i'm happy with that all
2: right fair enough okay so number three for me this week is again it came from the twitter thread it was one i'd never heard before i didn't know that it existed you you may recognize the vocalist here and yeah i mean i don't want to apologize before every song but i'm genuinely sorry begin that is blue sky who the hell is that, <laughs> that is blue sky archives who are they you might ask okay. that's fair enough that is yes. one of the former bands of lauren maybury of church's fame she was in a couple of bands prior to her big her big moment in the sun and yes this is a band blue sky archives i believe at the moment if you look at them up on facebook they have two thousand likes which isn't bad you know i mean like you know it's respectable what isn't respectable yeah. is their cover of Rage Against the Machine classic "Killing in the Name," which they have given a really maudlin, frightened rabbit, Biffy Clyro style. Do the acoustic thing and take—it's
1: an impressive reimagining, Dave. <laughs> um, I like where are they talking. Well, it's amazing because so like, like
2: it really exposes how repetitive Zach Della Rocca's lyrics are. Because if you strip yeah, it back yeah, to yeah. an acoustic thing with you know a few shakers and a, a big drum kick in at the end in the back of the pub, Battle of the Bands type thing on a Friday night, yeah, you're not left with too much in terms of lyrical, uh, I suppose, uh, space, which is okay because Zach gets away with it because that song is just so incendiary and perfect as it is. I mean, we, we, I think, I don't know what it was for you, Craig, but I remember specifically one of the first times I would have ever heard the now ubiquitous, especially YouTube-assisted, mournful strip back cover of a song that doesn't exist in that form to begin with and for me it was yeah um there was a bad tv show called damages with rose Byrne and glenn close and i watched the first couple of seasons of it and in the first season of it i think the guy's name is greg laswell i could be wrong but there was a mournful piano version of girls just want to have fun and i remember at the time being like this is revolutionary. This guy's going to be a millionaire. Oh, really? Because <laughs> I was just like, I'd never heard anything like that done before. And I was like, that's really thoughtful. Yeah, I was an idiot. I was- Do you remember Gary
1: Jewell's Mad World? Which is actually a pretty oh, alright cover. Yeah, like course, that was the yeah. first time one of those really took yeah, off, I think. that's fair. Um, I saw Donnie in the cinema.
2: Like, so yeah, I should have picked that one. And I love that. I did love that. It's, it's I totally
1: that. become, it's totally become the fucking John Lewis ad thing now, right? Advertising is fucking full of it and I hate it. Like, I do not want to hear some fucking death metal song on the fucking uke. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Reimagined for some, like, department store. It's so awful. Um. Yeah. Yeah. This, so, yeah, no, this is very this, much in that vein. This,
2: pain. um, this is painful. This is pain. This is pain. This is painful. What you also don't have is that there's, like, another vocalist in the band. There's, like, a Scottish guy who's assisting with the previous. He's, like, you know. So, uh, again, I mean, like, trying to get this clip down to 30 seconds, like, the repetition of it is unbearable. I genuinely couldn't believe what I was hearing. And like like Lauren from churches, it tends to attract a lot of um, invective online. And listen, a lot of it is because she's a fucking woman and it's not fair. She's been given horrendous abuse that people, contemporaries of hers, do not get. She's been very, very vocal about it. I've interviewed her before. She seems sound to me. I don't mind churches too much. I've ragged on them a lot. I saw them live at the a couple of years ago and I actually was like, oh, they're pretty good like there are people who accuse her of being kind of uh, almost an industry plant in a way, because she's definitely backed up by a couple of lads who were, I think they were like session musicians or at least studio guys. Yeah. And like, I don't care, you know, like churches to me, I'm never going to be their biggest fan. They are good live and I must give them that credit. And also I, they actually do pretty good covers as well. Apart from this kind of stuff. I (laughs) genuinely love, it's not a cover, but they did the theme song for Death Stranding last year, which I absolutely love, even though it's, it's unabashedly, over the top but that's the whole point of it i think i've softened on them in a while i'm never going to throw them on for the crack but this is shameful but listen she was very young it's one of those things we all thought we were cool we were a teenager or early 20s but fuck me (laughs) well that's an interesting lead into my number
1: three um because i think this is like the year zero for if not quite that john lewis like modeling thing for fucking lads with acoustic guitars being ironic and doing fucking pop songs. Here we go.
2: Oh, baby, baby, I should have let you go. Now you're right aside. Show me what you want it to be.
0: Tell me, baby, cause I need.
2: loneliness is killing me, and I, I must confess, I
0: still
1: believe. Still right, believe. so I was looking at kind of lists online of worst cover songs of all time, and a lot of them are to come back to your point, Dave, about like, you know, uh, female artists getting a bad rap. So many of these things, like the lists that people put together, are kind of like, how dare you take on this sacrosanct, like rock song, you female pop star? Like, people were ragging on Britney for doing a cover of Rolling Stone's Satisfaction on her debut, went and listened to it, and it's actually like a weird curio that works really well. Um, So the flip side of that is (laughs) authentic musicians, um, Travis, who were the biggest band in Britain at the time, going, do you know what will be great? We'll fucking, you know, add depth to this fucking fluffy pop song, which is actually better than anything they ever wrote. They performed this at Glastonbury, at like the biggest moment of her career, because it's a fucking great laugh. And it was permission to a fucking generation of Grafton Street buskers to start whipping out these ironic covers. Your fucking Glenn Hansard's, all of them can get in the bin. This is atrocious. It's obnoxious. They have no respect for the original source material get out of town the pop music is better
2: yeah that this is the thing that pisses me off the most not just that it's bad but that it is a piss take it is very clearly reveling yeah. it's reveling in its snobbery and listen again look I've I've definitely been snobby about pop music back in the day I've definitely been dismissive of things I'm not perfect even now shocking I know but look, like, it's the level <laughs> oh stop but it's the level it's, it's the glee that is taken especially when the harmony yeah. that's come in and the, and the lads in the background are like you know d- taking the piss and it's like it's not fun It's it's kind of gross it's a bit bullying in a way. It's grim. And actually, like it's funny because I think there is there's a lot there's a lot of similar stuff out there. And when you did your lead in, I thought it was actually going to be Arctic Monkeys in the Radio One Live Lounge doing Love Machine by Girls Aloud because that's when yeah. NME were like, oh, now the song is acceptable. Absolutely fucking fuck off. Because as I've always said, Girls Aloud a better run of singles than most acts, I think. Um, yeah. Phenomenal pop songs, phenomenal songs, full stop, regardless of genre. Baby One More Time is still amazing all these years on. And it's it's disgusting to me that a band of all bands, Travis, got to fucking swagger about with this. And, like, it's just really, like, calculated and gross. It's like a guy taking a fucking yeah. guitar off a girl at a party and being like, no, 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 here's how you and, do it. And, like, the,
1: the ultimate... The the ultimate end point of all of this, I guess, was Ryan Adams covering fucking 1989 in its entirety and a bunch of lads being like, oh,
2: wow, these are actually good songs. And we all know how that ended. (laughs) Right. uh, um, Swiftly swiftly (laughs) moving on to my silver medal. Again, it was brought to my attention. I, I do remember this, but I must have blocked it out from my brain. Again, you talked about, you know, not going down the reality TV route. Well, I couldn't avoid it, Craig. So here we go. See, you can't see it, but they all have seen what's going on here already.
0: We're about to have another song. We've cleared the stage so they're going to go bananas, ladies and gentlemen, with After the Gold Rush, it's six... (laughs)
2: It's Irish pop hopefuls six who were formed on Popstars, I believe, or the Irish equivalent thereof, at the turn of the century. That's 2003. It's taken from the Meteor Music Awards, which predated the Choice Prize. That was a, an exasperated Dara O'Brien giving them the lead in there for their cover of Neil Young's After the Gold Rush, done in a horrific Balearic Sunrise Dance, anthem, manumission style, mimed terribly as well, of course. Uh, I'm fairly certain this is a cover of a cover. I'm fairly certain this is some kind of weird inception situation in which it's like a cover of like a fucking chicane version of Neil Young. And it just <laughs> opens up all these horrible euphoria esque memories. And I mean,. Again, you talk about NAF and you talk about the artists that this kind Like, I'm sorry, six are, aren't artists and never, ever were and God love them. I believe one of them has gone on... I
1: mean, six are probably best known as Nadine
2: Coyle's Near Me. Yeah, for sure. I think, I, think, I, think one, I think one of them has gone on to become a fucking Fine Gael counselor or something. I mean, Yes, 100%. They were very much like... Like, they felt anachronistic even then, even in 2001, 2002. Like, the lads with the frosted tips, them wearing all white, like they were some kind of Christian fucking group. I mean, like, it just didn't work. It didn't work from day one. You've never seen a more obvious bomb in, in the form of, like, people milling around with plastic smiles and just this kind of horrible dance routine. To like, I mean... I'm not the biggest Neil Young purist in the world, but I recognise that After the Gold Rush is one of the best songs ever written and recorded and it contains multitudes of emotion and spirit and feeling. What the fuck? Who, Who sanctioned this?
1: Yeah, and you know Neil Young's stuff um, is obviously great enough that it can lend itself to weird covers that somehow work because, like, there is previous of um, Saint Etienne doing that great cover of um, "Only Love Can Break Your Heart," and it is that kind of ballerick dance thing, but it kind of captures the sadness of it, and it's like that kind of driving beat takes it somewhere else, and it's it's kind of it, amazingly against all odds works really well. Uh, I probably listened to it more than the original, but. um You had Saint Etienne doing it, and here you had, I don't know, Ortiz, Backroom Staff, and these bunch of chancers. (laughs) (laughs) Never going to work out. Yeah,
2: that's all i got to say. It's just grim.
1: All right, for my number two placing, this is... There was a couple offerings from this band that I could have gone with. Um, And the shortlist was huge of other songs, but I've gone with them because, again, I think disingenuous nature of it really rubs me the wrong way, and the original is such a classic. Take it away.
2: Oh, I guess it would be nice if I could touch your body. I know not everybody has got a body like me, but I gotta think twice before I give my heart away. And I know all the games you play, cause I play them too. Need some time off from that emotion.
1: As Mr. Fred Durst biscuit doing the George Michael classic uh, faith. <laughs> Dave, do you love this one? We had a
2: good run, you and me. We some people some people <laughs> said that we wouldn't do more than 10 episodes, and we proved them wrong, but it's show's over, folks. Weird that we fall out over a new metal offering. <laughs> Listen. You can't like this. It's so right, like look what we're no, doing. I don't like this. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Limp Biscuit, Faith. Oh my god, it's tremendous. They're just
1: the vocals are horrendous. The chorus where they could like redeem themselves, like there is something to be said for giving us some guitars and like charging into that chorus, but they're so limp. I don't know what Wes Borland's doing, but it's just this overdriven, like unimaginative nonsense. Um, The fucking rhythm guitar on the verse, which is like so incredible on the original, is limp as fuck. Oh, playing is terrible. I just think this is such an amazing pop song to begin with. Like, it's such a weird thing. It's like a dance song from this kind of like massive pop star that's completely built around an acoustic guitar thing. It's really odd when you go back and listen to it. It was so daring. The video's cool as fuck. George Michael was amazing. Kind of reminds me of like a Wendrup's cry from Prince because it was just like, this shouldn't work, but it does. Um, this shouldn't work as a cover and it doesn't.
2: <laughs> Absolutely. This was kind of massive though, yeah, wasn't it? It, like, it was around the time that they were breaking. I mean, look, I, I adored the original. I think George Michael, if anything, is underrated. I'm not just saying that because he's no longer with us. I don't think that this song is taking the piss out of it. I think the song is actually like, we love this song and we want to do it. This is off then of biscuits' first album. Even
1: when he's barely pronouncing
2: the lyrics and he's kind of just going, eh, like, Listen, I'm not going to look to Fred Durst for <laughs> fucking any kind of nuance. He's not great. Like, like the, Whereas he really sold Behind Blue Eyes, the, the Who cover. W- like he meant that, that one. Was, <laughs> that was suggested, by the way, on the Twitter thread yeah. by a listener to the show. And I was like, I'm sorry. I, I love that cover. As well, I'm oh, oh, reading really yes. as well. Yeah, yeah, I'm in for it. Yeah, all, yeah. oh, do you remember the video? Holly yeah. Berry. Berry, Fred Durst in his hus- <laughs> sad man, Fred boys. Durst, sad man, Fred Durst. No <laughs> one knows what it's like right to be the sad man. I mean, I genuinely, unironically <laughs> like that cover, and I unironically like this cover. But of course, look, look who you're fucking uh. talking to. But like, I'm also not going to hail it as like one of the best. If we, when we inevitably do top five best covers, I don't think it'll be in my top five or anywhere close to it. I enjoy it as a bit of fun, a bit of escapism. It is, look, the, the... Escaping from good music. The whole thing about... But <laughs> I want to unwind
1: with some terrible, terrible music. <laughs>
2: the whole thing, I will get through my point here. The whole thing about Fred Durst and Limp Bizkit <laughs> is that Limp Bizkit are actually a really fucking good band. Sam Rivers is a great bass player. John Otto is a very capable drummer. Wes Borland is a virtuoso guitarist. Granted, you might not like what he does, but he's very good at what he does and how he does it. And then, of course, DJ Lethal, bring it on. Whereas Fred Durst is... Take him to the Maxwell Bridge. (laughs) Fred Durst is a nightmare. And yeah, he loses me a lot as well. But I am someone who came up on Limp Bizkit. I did love them for a time, particularly those first three records. This takes me back to, uh, you know, those kind of teenage summers and all that kind of shit. But I mean, look... It's unpolished and annoying and brash, and I like it. I think it's okay to take a song like Faith, which itself was kind of challenging and, you know, anti-establishment or whatever the fuck you want to look at it. (laughs) It was, it was counterculture, and this is counterculture for its time. This was like the fucking time of the Family Values tour and all that kind of stuff, and it it, it was the the signalling of a new movement, which, yes, like it or hate it, it was, in fact, a moment in music, and this was one of the standard bearers. I'm not going to... Well, the moment, thankfully,
1: has passed. <laughs> well,
2: it's weird how, once again, we've kind of snapped rhythmically through this list quite well. I was worried that we'd have crossed over and apparently we don't. So uh, between this and between earlier on you saying that you don't want a death metal song on a uke, I guess this could be the reverse of that. So I guess with this track, which was is my number one and I, I feel like it had to be, uh, a lot of people won't know who this band are You'll know the cover most likely but you need to persist here. You need to get to the chorus so just have some patience. This is my number 1. I really need the video for full effect on this one that is confide (laughs) c-o-n-f-i-d-e confide with their cover of such great heights by the postal service now um it's interesting with this these lads because i i can't figure out if this was a joke or not i can't figure out if they were a joke or not they're no longer around uh they were formed in 2004 and all the members of the band were openly Christian, but they were not marketed in the Christian market, since the band themselves were on a secular label. Apparently, um, it's it's a strange thing. This kind of end of the two thousands, kind of heading towards, hurtling towards the tens, uh, when this kind of was around, I still don't know if this is a gag. I, I I don't know if the if the wool is being pulled over my eyes, but like there was a thing. There was a glorious, glorious thing in the world called Crabcore, and Crabcore was um, <laughs> like <laughs> I'm well aware of Crabcore. <laughs> yeah. yeah, tell us all <laughs> for anyone who doesn't know. Crabcore it got its name by bands like Attack Attack. Um, they have a song, and it's it, it, I think it's called Stick Stickly. And if you go on to YouTube or Daily Motion or wherever you're going to find it, you'll see these lads with their long hair and their lip piercings, uh, skinny jeans, and it's this kind of sped up like speed metal. Mixed with emo elements, and it all looks like an ad for Top Man gone horribly wrong. And at some point in the song, in the video, the lads will start jumping up and down with their legs spread out wide like they're crustaceans, apparently. Confide
1: in. I thought it was because the trousers (laughs) were so loose that they were falling down, so they had to have the wide stance. uh, It was like harking back to the hardcore. (laughs) These
2: boys didn't get that memo because if you go onto YouTube, and I encourage you to do it right now and look up Confide, Such Great Heights. All these guys look like the same creator wrestler clone, like, and they all have like perfectly straight long hair, which probably took hours to prepare. They're all wearing skinny jeans and like fucking no shoe or no socks. Which, you know, like I I do wear socks it's by Craig saying that I don't. I actually do. Um, essentially, it's <laughs> it's it, it's just such a mess. And then when the chorus comes in, you're like, okay, someone here somewhere is taking the piss. But they've released fucking like three albums and a couple of EPs and like this like wasn't, it doesn't, appear if it is a joke, I don't know who the joke is on. It's very much a case of like, okay, who is this for? I don't know. I remember, I remember 10 or 11 years ago finding this and seeing this and just losing my fucking mind because don't get me wrong. It struck me as
1: something that could just be a song from that genre, though. you know what I mean? Like, I wasn't, I was like, yeah, <laughs> like, like, okay,
2: like, where do you stand on the Postal Service? Because I, I enjoy that record, but I do think it's kind of overblown in the annals of...
1: Oh, it hugely yeah. is, yeah. I never had much time for them. I was like, okay, I kind of respect, like, what they did. I will never listen to their work. No, it's, it totally passed me by.
2: Right, yeah, I mean, like I guess they're like the poor man's bright eyes in a way, but i do I do have time for the album
1: and it's a sweet territory that I wouldn't think you'd have much truck with
2: <laughs> i mean it's 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 of its time because I remember specifically getting into them via i've I've mentioned my friend Adam before, he made me a bunch of mixed CDs back in that kind of two thousand and three two thousand and four time. I was in school, and I remember being like I was going through a really horrible bout of depression, and I remember like I, I couldn't get out of bed for a while, I couldn't go to school, and I remember Adam made me a CD and one of them, the first track was Sleeping In by the Postal Service and it was a gag because I was never out of bed before like fucking two in the afternoon and I I kind of got into them reverse engineered through that but at the same time they're not up there for me as like this touchstone moment in the way that maybe Bright Eyes were kind of afterwards but at the same time this splice of just fucking you know like Hot Topic, up Stephen's Green, Asha, like... Bollocks. I both unironically enjoy this and ironically hate this at the same time. Yeah,
1: yeah. I think like the Ben Gibber thing never really worked for me. I always thought when they, when Deadcab Cab appeared on the OC, do you remember that? They had the bait shop where bands would do live performances, including like the Killers and the Trills. I remember Deadcab, Cab, who I wasn't hugely familiar with, doing the song, uh, I think it's title and registration, and me immediately just being like, this is way too twee for me. Like the opening line is something like, the glove compartment is inaccurately named and everybody knows. It's like, because all he has in the glove compartment are memories. I was like, I'm fucking out. <laughs> they have some nice songs. But yeah, I guess that's why I didn't really chime in. On that note,
2: by the way, because I know that we did a couple of years ago, we did like songs you like by acts that you don't. I meant to say that one of my a song that really came close for me was Dashboard Confessional and Hands Down, <laughs> oh, hands yeah. down is the name of the song. I love that song. But that is, again, it's just so weak. It's just so fucking like soft boy and like. It's got, like, that line where it's like, you know... Soft boy. Soft boy. Soft, soft. <laughs> That's the draw that coming out of you. Know, <laughs> did, I, did, I, did I do that? Did I, all right. Uh, <laughs> Slightly, I liked it. <laughs> uh, dashboard confessional. Uh, but it's like, essentially, like, <laughs> it, it, it has those lyrics where it's like, you know... And you stood at my door with your, I don't know, or it was, no, hang on. It's a, and I stood at your door with, with your hands on my waist and you kissed me like you meant it. Like those kind of lyrics. Yeah, <laughs> so precious. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sometimes it works though. When it works, it works. And you stood like. <laughs> at the door with your hands on my waist. Yeah, that kind of stuff, you know. Oh. Lovely stuff, really, yeah. <laughs> on that note, do you, do you, do we move on to my number do you know one. Don't do in the drawdown again, do you? And you're still at the door oh, yeah. with your hands on me, waist. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, okay, enough. Go.
1: You never do that again. You should never take that on. Um, here's a group that should never have taken this song on. It's a bunch of very, very wealthy, um, middle-aged English musicians tackling some hip-hop in the nineties.
0: body with Next to them is compilation. I can prove to you. Watch the rotation, it all adds up to a funky
1: situation. Yeah, so my number one, of course, is Duran Duran for a <laughs> 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 Doing Public Enemies nine one one is a joke, <laughs> uh, which was a song that railed against like the subpar like healthcare system um, for African American communities in the U.S. <laughs> and the Duran Duran at the time were riding high after their comeback with Ordinary World, I think. Um, so they released this full covers album called something like Thank You, it's like <laughs> to the fans that were still on board with them. Um, they also covered White Lions, (laughs) which is like kind of makes more sense because it's kind of more in their wheelhouse of just like talking about cocaine. Um, but really, the audacity to try and tackle a song like this with a message like this—I know, like obviously, Flavor Flav, um, led the original and it's playful to begin with, but they have no business tackling this kind of territory. And it ends up being this weird, like, um, bizarro Beck approach like i don't know what is going on but just hearing that like fucking english accent (laughs) try and tackling some of these lines christ on a bike
2: it's the snare drum that gets me craig it's the sheer (laughs) fucking hubris of that snare drum on top of everything else Uh, there there must be a certain point where uh, whether it's rampant success access to drugs and all kinds of carnal pleasures and just people telling you how amazing you are there must be a point where you just lose your mind and your barometer for quality control is just eroded entirely until you have a horrific crash i mean
1: what the fuck how did they think they could get away with this because yeah it is so it is such a brash cover like there's no sense that in that studio at that moment in time Anyone was thinking anything other than this is fucking great. The kids are gonna love this. <laughs> Snort. Um, it's the kind of
2: it's the kind of reckless endeavor that you expect, like fucking Poochie the dog from The Simpsons, to pop up on the third verse <laughs> and just go
1: for it. Yeah. You know, like yeah, you couldn't do it nowadays. <laughs> um, simper times. <laughs> but yeah, I like I like a like handful of Duran Duran songs. But I mean, they really were in the eighties the epitome of like. Y- yacht pop rock, I guess, right? Like, most of their videos have fucking yachts in them, <laughs> and they're doing a public enemy song. Like, 911 isn't even a thing where they're from, it's 999. <laughs> they're like, What are they doing? <laughs> oh, naff, beyond belief. Uh, okay.
2: I don't know about you, but I feel kind of weak after that one. I mean, like, it isn't, yeah. yeah,
1: that was a lot. That was a uh, it was a slog
2: we started off so good we were like how about you have a decent week consider all things considered and now i just feel a bit a bit kind of yeah like my soul has been tampered with or something i don't know um okay so listen this episode of no encore (laughs) was engineered by sonic architect adam shanahan as noted at the top of the show patreon.com slash no encore if you want to throw us the price of a pint we'd greatly appreciate that and also please consider telling your friends about the show as craig will remind us from the advertising world it's the best form of advertising and it's free
1: (laughs) totally yeah earned media they call it what uh nice and organic
2: what what else you've been listening to this week man (laughs)
1: I went back to that Juliapa album because um producer our sonic architect Adam was saying it was ridiculous that we weren't discussing it on the show. I know Dave you liked it. I really like it as well. Um I don't know if it's worth like the five star reviews. It's getting everywhere. Like they're really remarkably well constructed pop songs but I didn't really have any fucking emotional connection to most of it,
2: I think. I don't think you're meant to. I don't know. I think it's fine like that. I mean, I went back to it as well this week and I'm enjoying it quite a bit. I think it's a strong four out of five. Um, it's a four out of five. I also went back for to, sure. I, I guess, yeah, on Adam's urging to Lipa, on your urging, not, even though no one actually did urge anything uh went back to the weekend album i did say you know <laughs> yeah. now that we're not in a review situation i'm looking forward to going back and giving it a go i'm enjoying it more than i did during the review process i'll say that i still don't think it's anywhere near what it needs to be but i think it's got cool. elements that i uh, enjoy
1: and yeah like the dual record is very strong there's a run of about three or four tracks where you're like okay she's doing really interesting stuff like physical i think is maybe the peak i love that weird um like, she unleashes some uh, Peter Gabriel flutes. like <laughs> There's a kind of Sledgehammer thing going on back when Peter Gabriel was good, which is really cool. Um, I've also been listening to Peel Dream Magazine, who are, with that name, of course, a Brooklyn band. Um, they're, like, very indebted to their influences, but they do it so well. I, I think anyone that likes um, kind of Isn't Anything era MBV, Yola Tango, and Stereolab should check out the album Agid Prop Alterna. It's just like really, really good songs in that vein. Very good for like the kind of weather we've had as well. Just like out your fucking back garden or whatever. It's like hazy, shoegazy, um, classy pop. So check that out, Peel Dream Magazine.
2: I finished up Mr. Robot at the weekend and the score by Mac Quayle got particularly strong towards the end feels almost cliche to say at this stage, but it isn't that kind of industrial Trent Reznor, Atticus, Ross vein. Plus, the song selection throughout the show was always very impressive as well. A show that I very much enjoyed. I would recommend people to go and have a look at it if you've never seen it before. It is very dense. It is very heavy. It is quite downbeat. But it's definitely an accomplishment, and the music is a huge part of it. I also tuned into I Am Your Empress Of by Empress Of, the new album from Empress Of. And it's really fucking good. Again, I found myself on, I think it was like Tuesday or Wednesday, just listened to like the Grimes record again, Dua Lipa, Empress Of, all three of them kind of flow really, really well together. And I've also gone back to For Those I Love from last year, which of course arrived and disappeared. I hope I'm not talking, I hope I'm not talking out of school too much because it's not readily available, but I do have access to it and it is a phenomenal album and it was just a pleasure to go back to it. Hopefully it comes back again soon should we should yeah. we
1: hopefully we all come back again soon <laughs> that's the dream right
2: we all come back <laughs> out into the we all world come back around craig that's how it works so until next week when we review the new strokes album bring you with another top uh, bring another top five to you i should say my name is david william Hanrady. his name is craig what's your middle name fitzpatrick charles oh yeah of course did you not know i that? did know that i've yeah. forgotten the moment okay I, I apologize char old charlie boy imagine we were charles and william that'd be a different podcast I <laughs> very much would Fucking yeah. Fina Gael Lassie. podcast probably I don't know <laughs> Alright that was no encore for this week Stay safe and we'll talk to you soon
0: This podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network